obsession with local history. I just can't help myself. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. For those of you that have been here before, thank you for coming back. It means so much. And for those of you who have not heard me before, I'm really hoping that you're going to enjoy it. And I, as always, would love to hear any thoughts or comments that you have. So please, just write to me. Just tell me what you think. So you might be wondering, what are we going to be talking about this time? Well, this story takes us to the late 17th century and we're kind of down on the lizard and the man that we're talking about is called John Sands or John Sandy and it's the tale of his rather unexpected voyage. family in that area. The Sandys had been uh, generations in the St Kevin area. In about 1689 John married a lady called Prudence and together the couple would go on to have seven children. They were Samson, William, Anthony, Jane, Grace, Elizabeth and Richard. And John Sandys and his wife Prudence seem to have named their eldest son Samson after John's uncle who was called Samson Sandys. Now when Samson Sandys died in 1696, John inherited his estate and this was quite a substantial inheritance. It would have been a life-changing inheritance for him. He uh, came into possession of Lanarth House, uh, but there was also a, a lot of land and houses in St Kevin and Coverack. There was a mill in Coverack and there was also a fishing cellar in the village as well. Now our adventure takes place a few years after John inherited all this land and property in about 1702 and the story actually comes from his grandson who was also called Samson Sandys and was the reverend at St Kevin and he told the story about a hundred years uh, after it had happened. So it was a cold winter's day in January 1702 or 1703 and John Sandys, along with seven other people, men and women from St Kevin, were on a small fishing boat returning from Falmouth where Sandy had been selling pilchards at the local market and other people had been stocking up on provisions. Now it's unclear um, exactly what time of day they left but at some point the boat um, was leaving the harbour and described as being laden with tons of burden so they'd obviously had quite a big shopping trip and it was not a large boat it appears to have been just a, an open top uh, rowing boat. Now not long after they left Falmouth Harbour heading back towards Kovrak 
uh, a sudden storm blew up and the seas became extremely rough. There were huge waves apparently cresting over the notorious uh, Manacles Reef and the rowers were really struggling to make any progress. So they thought that they would try and reach Porthallo, but even this seemed impossible and things actually went very quickly out of control. In the end, the oarsmen had to just pull in the oars and they turned their attention to bailing out the little boat to stop it from sinking, while apparently the rest of the passengers literally started praying. Now, it was a very long, cold night with torrential rains, really strong winds and heavy seas, and the frightened passengers spent most of their time just trying to keep their little boat afloat. And when the sun came up the next day, they realised that they had absolutely no idea where they were. They couldn't see land in any direction and the storm was still raging, which was making visibility really poor. In fact, their battle against the elements lasted for another three days. And luckily, the women on board, as I said, had had a bit of a shopping uh, spree when they were in Falmouth. One of the women was actually the landlady of the Three Tons pub in St Kevin and anyway they had enough food and drink apparently there was about four gallons of brandy to keep them all sustained um, during this ordeal. Luckily on the fourth morning when they woke up or, uh, or when at least the sun came up the weather had cleared and they actually spotted land so without hesitation they got the oars out and they rowed like mad to get to the shore. Unfortunately, however, not long after they had thrown themselves onto the sand in great relief, it, their relief turned to panic when they realised that they didn't recognise where they were. This was not the coast of Cornwall. It wasn't even the coast of England. And it was like, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. And it soon became quite clear that they were actually on the coast of Normandy, that the boat had drifted all the way to France. And if that wasn't bad enough, England was actually at war with France at that time. So from what I can gather, war had broken out in 1701 between Queen Anne and King Louis XIV of France because basically they were arguing over the control of the con colonies, the newly established colonies in North America. And there had been a bit of tit-for-tat fighting, you know, sinking each other's ships, that kind of thing. Um, so understandably, when John Sandys and his group suddenly uh, appeared on the beach, the locals were more than a little suspicious and the Cornish found themselves accosted by a group of armed men who basically demanded to know their business there. Now fortunately, after some language difficulties, John Sandy was able to explain why they were there and what had happened and miraculously, one of the armed Frenchmen actually knew his name. Now it transpired that this Frenchman had been one of a crew of a ship that had wrecked on the Lizard Coast just a few years earlier and he and several of his crew had been rescued and taken to John Sandy's house where they had been given food and dry clothes. So understandably, he was incredibly grateful to this man and this connection was really what saved the Cornish party uh, from being shot, basically. Um, and the Frenchmen, um, they weren't 
overly friendly. They still made them surrender um, any weapons that they had and all of their goods and money um, and took them to the nearest settlement where they were held as prisoners of war. Now luck was still on their side to a certain extent because they were only actually held overnight because the next morning the magistrate basically said that there wasn't any case for them to answer and agreed that they should be released. But of course they were still in a really sticky situation. They were in France, they had no food, no money and no way of getting back to Cornwall. I'm assuming quite understandably nobody was very keen on making that long journey in their tiny little rowing boat and of course they had no supplies to take with them anyway. But fortunately the French uh, sailor, the one that had been wrecked on the, on the lizard, he decided to return the kindness that that he had been shown previously and he managed to secure them um, places to stay in local houses, people that were sympathetic and would give them food and board for free. Now eventually the news of this strange occurrence of these, uh, this party of Cornish people that had just randomly rocked up onto a Normandy beach, this news actually reached the ears of King Louis who ordered the whole party to be immediately put onto a transport ship and sent back to England. Now I'm not sure what the circumstances were here, whether he was worried that we were a band of Cornish spies, I, I don't really know, but whatever the case, Louis didn't want the Cornish staying where they were and they were very quickly dispatched on a ship that dropped them off at Portsmouth and eight weeks after they had originally left St Kevin, John Sandys and the uh, other people from the village actually made it home very much to the surprise and joy of their friends and family who had been obviously convinced that they had drowned in in the storm all those weeks earlier and prudence no doubt john's wife would have been over the moon because she had been left looking after four of their youngest children at the time so there you have it. That is the story of John Sandy's unexpected voyage. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to find out a bit more about John Sandy, um, you can actually read his will online. He died um, in St Kevin in 1748 and was actually buried in the graveyard there um, alongside his wife and his uncle. Um, but if you would like to read his will, which details all the properties that he owned um, and his different houses and possessions, which actually I didn't mention before, but included a cellar which had um, all the equipment for processing fish so I think he was pretty big in the pilchard industry he had equipment for for salting and pressing and curing fish in a cellar in Kovrak so that will is online it's really interesting to have a look at if you'd like to and other than that you can pop over to my blog where there is a whole section that I've called Cornish Folk which is about uh, different 
interesting characters from Cornwall that you might be um, interested to read. And there's also a new section on there, a new pop-up actually, um, which will prompt you, if you feel like it, um, to donating uh, a pasty for me. Um, so I want to keep everything, um, the content on my blog and on this podcast free. And I've considered going down the Patreon alley, but I've decided against it because I want my content to be available to everyone really whatever your budget is but obviously it does cost me um, a fair bit to run the blog to run the website to you know to produce the content that I produce so I'm just asking if you enjoy what I do if it gets you excited about Cornwall if it gets you out there exploring just consider slipping me a couple of quid to buy a cup of coffee or to put towards a book or towards my research and whatever you can give would be really really appreciated by me so that's it really thank you so much for listening again i do genuinely appreciate it and as i said at the beginning i'd love to hear from you guys i love to know what you think about the stories that i tell i love to hear about your family stories there are so many of them out there and we really really need to make sure that they get recorded because else they just vanish and we really don't want that so thank you very much for joining me and i will speak to you again soon Bye.